Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 tonight, and we're only going to cover just two verses. And as you're turning there, it is obviously Christmas time, and Christmas time is special for many of us. I know I, I love it, and at our house, Sam and I are still new to this whole parent thing, and so this is our second Christmas with Graham, but yet it's the first Christmas where he's really aware, and he's really starting to take things in and enjoy things. And so just the other day, Samantha is wanting to make Christmas cookies, which I fully endorse. And so she's in the kitchen, she's making some gingerbread men, and she's got a chair in there so Graham can stand on the chair and help her uh, with the cookie cutters and all of that. But one thing that comes along with making Christmas cookies is you've got to have a hot oven to put the Christmas cookies in. And so she's got the oven preheated and, and they've got uh, the dough cut out into shapes on the trays. And before she puts it in the oven, she has to give a warning to Graham to not touch the hot oven when she opens it. And so she's opening it, putting the cookies in, and trying to explain to him that now he has to wait before the cookies are ready and before he can start eating cookies. And again, it was the same issue as, as the timer goes off and she's now having to open the oven again to take the cookies out. She's having to warn Graham that he cannot touch inside of the hot oven or it will, it will hurt him. And for people that we love, we sometimes have to give them warnings. We have to make sure that they are aware of certain things that might bring them harm. And that's what Samantha was doing with Graham, is she was giving him a warning because she knew if he did reach and touch the hot oven, it was going to harm him. And now, what we see in Philippians, these next two verses we're going to cover tonight, is Paul is giving a warning to the church. Up to this point, he's talked a lot and and, and been very encouraging to the church. We've covered the Christ hymn where he explains Jesus and what he has done for us that he himself was equal with God, and yet he, he laid down his status as God and came to serve us. And he was obedient to, Jesus, uh, to God, even to the point of death on a cross. And because of that, the last passage that I preached was uh, Paul explaining why or how we should live in light of what Jesus has done for us. And that affects who we are and how we live and how we engage the world. And so now... Paul is going to give a warning to the church. Because I want us to see very briefly that Paul is not warning the church just because he knows that something bad could happen. He's warning the church because he genuinely loves the church. Paul's not just warning the church because he's afraid something bad might happen in the future. He's warning the church because these are people that he loves. These are people that he cares for. And these are people that he does not want to see struggle or experience hardship. And so I want us to look at just a couple verses in the book to get this idea or or to cement the idea that that Paul genuinely cares for these people. Look back at chapter one. I preached this passage as well. and, And Paul begins his letter to the Philippian people by telling them how thankful he is for them. Look at verse three and four. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul being reminded of these people and praying for them brings him joy. 
Clearly, there's a connection to him having joy to the people that he's thinking of and praying for. Look also down at verse 8. He says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, I remember talking about how strong this language is as Paul is talking to the Philippian people. Again, look with me at the end of chapter 1, verses 24 through 26. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul is convinced that he will not pass away and and be with Christ, but that he will live, he will get out of prison, and he will come and visit the Philippian people for their joy and progress in the faith. This is, these are people that Paul wants to spend time with. He wants to go be with. He wants their joy in Christ to increase. Look with me over at chapter two, verse 17. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul's saying, even if I am to die here in prison, I can die with joy because of you all, because of your partnership with me, because of my love for you. Paul is clearly very affectionate towards these people. And and one more time, let's look at chapter three, verses 17 through 19. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We see here that people who have walked away from the faith bring Paul to tears. People who have abandoned their love for Christ hurts Paul. Now, some of those may have been Philippian people. Some of those may have been other uh, helpers that were with him. But but the point of the matter is, Paul loves this congregation. Paul loves these people very deeply. And so this this caution or this warning that he's about to give to them is, is not just because bad things are out there, but it's because he genuinely loves these people and wants them to thrive in the Lord. Look with me at chapter three. Verses two and three. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is warning the church One reason is because he loves the church dearly. Another reason is because the church matters dearly. Think about about where this church is, okay? It's in the city of Philippi. Much like our church is right here in the city of Fairdale. And our church here in Fairdale matters here in Fairdale. Miss Linda just made the, the, the comment that we've had people coming forward probably the last six weeks consecutively, people wanting to know Jesus and to follow him as savior, people wanting to obey obey him in baptism, people wanting to join our church. 
if this church is not here, are those people doing that at other churches? Maybe, perhaps. But what I want us to see is that the church is important. Wherever the church is located, it's important because the gospel witness depends on a local church that is loving God and serving the place where they are. And so the same is true of the Philippian church. Paul loves those people genuinely, but he also knows that the church matters. The church is important. Without the church presence, the gospel may not be getting preached and proclaimed in Philippi. And Paul is aware of this. Paul knows that the health of the church at Philippi is of great importance, and the same is true for us. The health of our church here in Fairdale is of great importance. If we stray from what the Bible teaches, if we stray from the gospel, then the gospel is not being properly proclaimed here in Fairdale, and that is a problem. That means people aren't hearing the good news about how they, as Barabbas, can be right with a holy God. And so Paul is is fully aware that the church matters, and after encouraging the church to rejoice in the Lord, Josh preached on that last week, he now reminds us that while we need to rejoice in the Lord, we've got to be careful that our attention is not diverted elsewhere. Look with me again at verse three. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is giving us a warning because here's what he knows. These dogs that he's referring to in verse two, they threaten our joy in the Lord. And they threaten our effectiveness in reaching the community. So we gotta ask ourselves the question, who are these dogs? Who are these people that Paul is warning the church against? Well, we get an idea from the context, specifically the end of verse two and the beginning of verse three. The last thing he says in verse two is look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And the first thing he says in verse three is for we are the circumcision. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you may know that circumcision was the sign of the covenant between God and his people. God commanded Abraham to be circumcised, and that became the sign for all of the people of God throughout the Old Testament, was circumcision. And so, based on the context here, these people in Philippi, their issue is, they're not necessarily saying we don't need Jesus, or we need to get our focus off of Jesus, but they're saying we must also, in addition to believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we must also follow the Old Testament laws, and you better believe that includes circumcision. These are what we know as Judaizers. They're people who don't necessarily reject the gospel, but yet they're still clinging to the laws of Old Testament Jews believing that the sign of the covenant, circumcision, is absolutely essential for non-Jewish believers to actually be believing, to actually be following God. And so this is the teaching that they're trying to bring into the church at Philippi. In addition to teaching about what Jesus has done, what Paul talks about in chapter two, they're saying you must also be circumcised. 
Now, Paul is warning against these people. Now, he's saying that in verse 3, we are the circumcision. So our next big question is, well, what is circumcision and how do we understand it now that we're in the New Testament time? That's, that's what Paul is going to. And I want us to turn over to Romans chapter 2 to get an idea of this. Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 25 through 29. Paul says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Here Paul gives us a better understanding of circumcision in the New Testament. Paul says it's not about the actual physical circumcision. It's about the heart. The issue is our heart, not our outwardly physical appearance or physical state. You see, these, these Judaizers are trying to take the good news of the gospel and add to it something that's not found in it. They're trying to say we still need to keep this Old Testament ritual of physical circumcision in order to be saved, whereas Paul is saying circumcision is about the heart. Circumcision is about God changing our hearts, removing our old flesh of our old heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God and desires God. That's the issue at hand. Now, we may not deal with the issue of circumcision here at First Baptist Fairdale, but yet there are still issues that we need to be on the lookout for, that we need to be watching out for. Basically, anything that takes our confidence off of Jesus and puts it on to anything else, that's what we need to be looking for. That's what we need to be watching out for. And this can come in in a variety of different ways. Perhaps in 2017, it could look like putting our confidence in something like politics. And this may be a a hot topic, a can of worms that I don't don't really want to open, but there is a whole lot of, of Christianity out there that you can see, it's public to the world, who is proclaiming that if you are not a conservative person politically, Surely you can't be a Christian. And what they're doing is they're not necessarily saying we need to get rid of Jesus, that we don't need forgiveness of sins through Jesus, but what they're saying is, in addition to Jesus, you must also align with this certain thought. And church, that's wrong. That's what the Judaizers were doing, and that's what Paul is warning the church against. 
It could be something such as sports. For many of us guys, maybe this, this is an issue for us. We, we identify with the team that we love the most. And we like to tell people, if you're, if you're not a Wildcat fan, surely you can't be a real Christian. If you're not a, if you're not a Louisville fan, sounds trivial, but it can become true. And in our hearts, it can take root. This could even be true with, with our families. We prize having good families, having obedient children, having kids that grow up and go on and, and do great things. Makes us proud. Or perhaps for us younger people, maybe we, we prize coming from a family that is, has it all together, that has been successful. And if we're not careful, our teaching of the gospel can become infiltrated by you've got to have this good cookie cutter life. And if you don't, we're not sure about your, about your salvation. You see, I don't think the Judaizers were intentional when they were, were thinking this through that all right, we, got to, we got to scheme against the church and try and destroy them. Now, I don't know. Perhaps they had good intentions But what happened is their focus got turned away from being on Jesus and got off center. And now Paul is saying, watch out for these dogs. Watch out for these evildoers, people who are leading you away from Jesus to anything else, whether it's the issue of circumcision, whether it's the issue of politics, sports, family, whatever it is, Paul says, we gotta watch out. We can't let it infiltrate the church. We can't let our focus be shifted from Jesus to anything else. Now, I kind of already talked about why the Judaizers are wrong, and Paul begins to talk about this here in verse three. He says, for we are the circumcision. Now, again, he's he's speaking specifically to the issue at Philippi. He's saying, we are the circumcision, Church, let me remind you, we don't need an outward sign of circumcision to become the church or to become the people of God. He says we already are. And the reason is because circumcision is a matter of the heart. It's not at all a matter of the outward physical appearance. It's an issue of the heart. And if we are believing in Jesus, if we are trusting in him for the forgiveness of our sins, then Our hearts have been changed. Our hearts have been circumcised. So this is how Paul responds by saying that we are the circumcision. So the question that I have after that is, what does it mean to be the circumcision? And that's that's what Paul explains in the rest of verse three. He says kind of two and a half things. One, he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is, we glory in Christ Jesus. And the reason I say two and a half is because the last thing goes with the second thing. He says, and we put no confidence in the flesh. So one, to be the circumcision means we worship by the Spirit of God. So what does that mean? Well, our call to worship was John chapter four, and I would like you to turn back there with me real quick, and let's look at these verses again. 
John chapter four, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now look over with me real quick to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us another helpful insight into what it means to worship by the Spirit of God. Look with me at verse 6 and following. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse eight is incredibly important. Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what does it mean to worship God by the Spirit? We believe that when we confess our sins and believe in Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. He changes our hearts. He makes his home with us. And it is impossible to worship God without the Spirit dwelling inside of us. This is what Paul means. To be the circumcision means we worship by the Spirit of God, meaning we worship only because the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of us. And our worship is acceptable to God only because the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of us. We have to know very clearly that we are sinful, that God's standard is perfection. And all of us have failed to meet that standard. This is the gospel message. That God is holy and we are not. We're separated from God. But the difference between the true people of God, the true circumcision, and the non, is that we worship by the Spirit of God, meaning the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. Church, if you are just trying to be a good person, to do your best, that's not pleasing to God. Because apart from the presence of the Spirit in our life, what Paul said in Romans 8 is, it is impossible to please God without the Spirit. We can't do it. No matter how good we act, or or no, no matter how many good things we do, no matter how many donations we make or how many people we help out, 
we cannot please God apart from the spirit dwelling inside of us. And Paul is saying that is the first mark of being of the circumcision, being the true people of God. It's not about an outward sign or an outward act that we perform. It's about the spirit of God dwelling inside of us. He says that's the first mark is that we worship by the spirit of God. But then he says, and we, we glory in Christ Jesus. This is an odd phrase. What does it mean to glory in something? When I look this word up, and, and helpfully, it can also be translated as to boast. We understand what boasting is. Many of us boast about a lot of different things. But we boast in Christ Jesus. That's the second thing Paul says about those people who are truly of the circumcision, meaning they truly are the people of God. They worship by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit is dwelling inside of them, and they glory in Christ Jesus, or we boast in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it mean to boast in Christ Jesus? It means that our confidence, or the confidence of our salvation, is in Christ and in Christ alone. Our confidence is not found in anything else. It's not found in anything outside of Jesus. Our confidence that we are saved and secure is in what Jesus has done for us. It's that he stood in our place when we, as Barabbas, should have been put to death. But yet Jesus set us free by standing in our place. And our confidence of salvation, our confidence of eternal glory in heaven is in none other than Jesus. You see, one of the things that the Judaizers are doing is they're taking confidence away from Jesus and putting it on something else. They're putting it specifically in, in, in this context on the issue of whether you're circumcised or not. And Paul is saying, church, that's not right. True people, true people of God worship because the spirit is dwelling inside of them and they boast in nothing except Jesus. We don't boast in any type of thing that we've done. We don't boast in anything else besides Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Oftentimes, we, we boast about things, perhaps without even realizing it. How good of a person we are. If you've been around church for a long time, maybe you grew up in the church, you can sometimes start to think of yourself as a pretty good person. I catch myself doing this from time to time. I think way too highly of myself, and I think, man, I'm glad that I'm not messing up and sinning like those people. Surely, I'm not the only one in this room who's thought things like that before. And when I'm doing that, I'm putting confidence of my salvation in myself, in my own ability to not sin the way I see other people sinning. Perhaps we, without really realizing it, boast in how successful we have been. We've come to Christ and perhaps things have changed in our life. 
things have gotten better, things have looked up, and we begin to feel confidence in the fact that because we've had a change in our life, because things have gotten better, we're feeling confident of our own salvation. There's a lot of different ways in which we can boast, but now Paul reminds us again, kind of by stating the negative to what he just stated, but look at the end of verse three. He says, and we put no confidence in the flesh. That's exactly what the Judaizers were doing. Putting confidence in the flesh. Paul's saying we can't do this because to put confidence in the flesh means we're taking confidence off of Jesus. We're feeling reliant on our own self and our own abilities. Paul says that's what leads churches astray. That is what will rob you of joy in the Lord. That is what will make your witness in the community ineffective. See, we can't forget why Paul's given this warning. It's not just because he doesn't want to see bad things happen. It's because Paul knows that lives, eternal souls are at risk. If we as the church turn our focus away from Jesus, there may be people who perish without knowing the truth. And Paul says that matters. So Paul is warning these people because he loves them. He does not want to see them turn away and go the wrong direction. But Paul is also warning the church because lives are at stake. Do you all realize that as we meet here on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night, lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. And Paul is saying, church, if, if we want to be filled with rejoicing in the Lord because of what he's done for us, and if we want to be an effective witness in our community for what Christ has done for us, He says, we cannot get our focus off of Jesus and onto the wrong things. And church, we all know that that is a very real temptation. You know how it happens so easily? We start feeling good about ourselves. We start feeling confident in ourselves. We start getting uh, satisfied that the last few weeks we've had people coming forward, people getting saved. We, we start feeling like, man, we've got a good thing going. You know, we, we kind of know how to do this. We start to think that people being saved and people joining the church and people getting baptized is because we're so good at what we do. Paul says, that's, that's bad thinking. Paul says, we've got to realize that our focus needs to be on Jesus and not on anything else. And what Paul would say if we asked him, how do we keep our focus on Jesus? He would say to be in the word. Do y'all remember what he said just a couple verses before this? I preached this a couple weeks ago and he said, 
because of what Jesus has done for us, the Christ hymn that we read, he says in verse 14 of chapter two, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then verse 16, he says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You know how Paul stays focused on Christ and on nothing else? He clings to the word of God. Do you know how you and I and and us as a church stay focused on Jesus and on nothing else? By clinging to the word of God. Are you clinging to the word of God tonight? Is your confidence in nothing other than Jesus and what he has accomplished for you on the cross? Pray with me. God, we thank you that you love us. You showed your love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, I pray that we would understand the weight and the gravity of the church. We're not a country club that we just come here to make friends and to have relationships. We're here to have joy in the Lord and we're here to be a witness to a lost and dying world that Jesus saves sinners. And God, I pray that our church would never lose focus on Jesus. God, I pray that you would keep us clinging to the word of God, that at the day of Jesus, we may be proud that we did not run in vain or labor in vain. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.